gospel I w- as I was finishing up sermon preparation yesterday and in light of all the events that happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School on Friday and I thought to myself what is a text on shepherding have to do with a violent school shooting. And then I thought about texts like Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus looks out on the crowds, you remember this, and he has compassion on them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The metaphor there of A sheep without a shepherd is interesting. It implies that without a shepherd, we are, like Jesus says, harassed and helpless. We wander. Sounds like Isaiah 53, right? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Adam Lanza was a sheep without a shepherd. In an article that I read this morning, family friends said Lanza's problems started to escalate when his parents divorced in 2008 after 18 years together. Now, before I go on and read the details of his background, I want to say this as one of your pastors. I don't in any way intend to equate divorce or all the things that happened in Lanza's life as a product of that alone. There are many people, myself included, who come from divorced homes, broken homes that were difficult to live in, that grow up and don't become serial killers. Okay, so don't, don't hear that this morning. I, I, would, I would hate to put that burden upon a mom or a dad who is alone in raising their children. But I I just want you to pick up on the metaphor of a sheep without a shepherd, okay? That's my main point. Not the details. Sheep without a shepherd. Family friends said Lanza's problems started to escalate when his parents divorced in 2008 after 18 years together. His father, Peter, a wealthy executive for General Electric, who is believed to earn a million dollars a year, moved out of the family home in 2006, citing irreconcilable differences. The 52-year-old married librarian Shelley Cudner last year, and the couple moved 40 miles away to Stamford, Connecticut. However, Peter, that is Adam's father, continued to provide wealth for Nancy and their younger son, giving her the family home as well as nearly $325,000 a year. One of Lanza's former classmates spoke of his, quote, noticeable decline after his parents' divorce. This is what the classmate said. He was a loner at school and hyper-intelligent, but in recent years he disappeared off the radar. The word is that he was badly affected when his parents split and that that might be what pushed him over the edge. He was always weird, but the divorce affected him. He was arguing with his mother. He was a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. Sources close to the investigation also revealed last night that Nancy had recently stopped hosting monthly get-togethers for neighbors in order to look after her increasingly troubled son. Adam Lanza was a sheep without a shepherd. And sometimes 
that manifests itself in great violence and great tragedy. And other times it manifests itself in what most Americans live, lives of quiet desperation, good citizens living for their own agendas. And some of those agendas are very noble and civic. But when people do not have Jesus as their chief shepherd, we will go, our, go astray and we'll follow our own way. My point is that in this world, there is great and unspeakable evil and tragedy. And that's caused by the presence of sin. And the only one who can deal with that sin that is at the heart is Jesus. Adam Lanza, the 20-year-old who was responsible for those killings, needed to be ransomed in the language of First Peter that we've been studying, needed to be ransomed from a futile way of life through faith in the precious blood of Christ, First Peter 1, 18 and 19. First Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 say this, he himself, talking about Jesus now, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus came into the world to remove and change hearts that are predisposed to sin and to cause them to live to righteousness, to desire what is right, to desire life and not death. By his wounds, Peter says, you have been healed. And then the very next verse says, for you talking about Christians now, you were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And if anyone's in this room this morning that is not yet walking with Jesus day by day, having Jesus as your shepherd, as your chief shepherd, the one who leads you, the one who cares for you, the one who instructs you, the one who corrects you, then I would plead for you today to return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He made you, he will redeem you. He will ransom you with his precious blood and he will heal you with his wounds. Please come this morning. Please let this national tragedy point you again to the, to, the, to, the, to the solution, to Christ, the chief shepherd. And the point of today's text in connection with that is that one of the ways the chief shepherd, Jesus, expresses care for his people is by providing them with under shepherds who will shepherd them until we meet him. And that's what this text is all about. So what does this text have to do with us here this morning? It has to do everything with us. Because even though this text is primarily addressed to people like me and Jonathan and Pastor Sam and Pastor Ted and Pastor Keith, it has everything to do with you, the church, because these are the kinds of things we want you to pray for us. These are the kind of standards we desire you to hold us to. 
And we, we are, this is our desire is that after we're dead and gone, we want you to be looking for in future shepherds that you would have. Because these are Peter's exhortation to the elders. We're going to unpack this text, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, under three points. And we'll begin with the pastor's mission. Now, I'm going to use the word pastor interchangeably for elder here. I don't, I don't have time, nor do I think I need to necessarily. You all have been well taught on this issue. But the term elders is synonymous with our term pastor. We get our word pastor from the language of shepherd. But elders and pastors are synonymous terms. So I'm going to use the term pastor. That's the one we're more, we're more familiar with. But even though we, you all are well aware that we're also referred to as elders as well. But first of all, the pastor's mission. Peter begins in chapter 5, verse 1, with a very important word. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it begins with therefore. Some of your translations may say so. He's making an argument, and he's connecting it back to what Pastor Jonathan preached last week in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. He says, therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of of Christ and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you. Now, what's the therefore, therefore? What is it there to communicate? Why does Peter all of a sudden turn his attention to pastors and start addressing them right now in this point in the letter? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, if you remember last week in chapter 4, verse 17, Peter writes, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? So he's, he's raising the level of seriousness in the congregation. And he's saying, this is serious. Being the church is serious. The time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And according to Ezekiel 9, when God comes to inspect his church and judge his church, the first people he calls to account are its leaders. So that's in Peter's mind. But also verse 19. So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. That's the verse right before chapter 5 verse 1. And when you think about entrusting yourself to God, to a faithful creator, and Peter in chapter 2 verse 25 says that we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, I think it immediately, in Peter's mind, he would immediately turn to, okay, we entrust ourselves to God. Who does God call us to, or call, what leaders does God call in order to protect those whom, those people whom God has entrusted, or that have entrusted themselves to the Lord? There's this entrustment stewardship idea. And so Peter goes to the pastors. And what is the mission of the pastors according to Peter? Before I say that, let me slip in Peter's disposition in writing this. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. He doesn't come as this superior apostle who steps onto the stage and says, listen, pastors, get your act together. He comes to them and he says, as a fellow elder, 
as a fellow pastor, I come to you as a witness to the sufferings of Christ and also a participant in the glory that's to be revealed. In other words, Peter is humbling himself here. He is humbling himself and making himself approachable and saying, listen, it's not as though I'm superior to you or greater than you. I'm with you in this battle. And that is a supreme mark of a pastor. A pastor is not someone, and we're going to see this in a minute. A pastor is not someone who says, okay, sheep, I've got it together. Come follow me. A pastor is someone who says, no, I am walking the Calvary road with you. I am here for you. I'm going to call you alongside of me and we're going to follow Jesus together. That's a pastor. That's a shepherd. So he says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of the Messiah and I'm a participant in the glory about to be revealed. He just levels the playing field and he puts himself right at the foot of the cross with everybody he's writing to. And he says, this is me. I'm an apostle, yes, but I'm also one of you. And then he describes the pastor's mission in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And there's the all-important all key phrase. Shepherd God's flock among you. So he picks up the imagery of shepherd again, the shepherd sheep metaphor, which is clear throughout the Bible as one of the primary ways that God himself relates to his people. And then he says, shepherds, elders, shepherd God's flock. We as your pastors know, and we pray it frequently at the beginning of every one of our elders meetings, it almost inevitably comes out. We say to the Lord, God, this is not our church. This church belongs to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we are merely under shepherds called to serve. It's a way of transferring our trust, a way of transferring our vision, a way of transferring our perspective to what it needs to be biblically. You're God's flock. And believe me, we take that very seriously. You're God's people. You're not our people. In one sense, you are. You're a stewardship for us, but you don't belong to us. You belong to the chief shepherd. You belong to Jesus. But nevertheless, our call remains the same. We are to shepherd you. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it's helpful if we go back to the Old Testament and we're going to look at an illustration of what shepherding isn't. And then we can learn, by contrast, what shepherding is. Okay, so turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. And I want you to, to pay attention to what God is indicting the shepherds of Israel for not doing. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And he's not talking about physical shepherds. He's talking about their spiritual leaders. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds 
of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? Now just stop right there. If you're thinking, then one of the purposes of shepherding is to feed the flock, right? It's to feed the flock, not to feed yourself. So the, dis- the, 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 the disposition that is being communicated here is you're not in it for yourself. You're in it for the sheep. You're caring for the sheep. You're not caring for yourself. You're not looking out for yourself. So you feed the, she- the, feed the flock, don't feed yourself. Verse 3, you eat the fat. You wear the wool. You butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. So it's this harshness. It's this autocratic behavior. It's this absenteeism. It's this neglect that's being communicated. So obviously, the shepherd needs to be close to the sheep, to care for the sheep, to extend concern and compassion and God's word to the sheep, not to rule them with violence and cruelty. Verse 5, they were, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. So they failed to heed the sheep. They failed to protect them. They failed to look out for wolves and false teachers and people who would come in and devour them. Verse 6, my flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, the declaration of the Lord God, because my flock has become prey and food for every wild animal since they lack a shepherd, for my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And he goes on to make a strong indictment and also to make a promise. I'm going to send a true shepherd. This is a messianic promise. I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to send my son, the chief shepherd, who will become a shepherd for my people. So you get a a picture of what shepherding isn't, right? It's not leading. It's not feeding. It's not heeding the flock. That's a real helpful way that I remember what a shepherd is. To lead, to feed, to heed. What does it mean to lead? It means to extend a vision for the church of what the church is called to be by God and to lead the church in that vision. We as your pastors are greatly concerned that this church be a fully biblical church. That is that we worship God, that we care deeply for one another and that we reach out in mission. And we want to lead in all three of those areas. And one of the ways we lead is by trying to, trying to set up structures by which you can be cared for. So, for example, we gather together on the Lord's Day and we worship because that's what the church is called to do. So we as your pastors want to make that happen and we want to lead in that area. But we're also called 
to help you learn to love and care and speak the truth to one another and minister and in each other's lives. We're not the only full-time ministers in this church. We're a church of, of ministers, of servants of Christ. Now, there are pastors. No, don't get me wrong. I didn't say the church is full of pastors, but I did say the church is full of ministers, using that term minister to mean servant of Christ. So we want to help you learn to minister to each other. And we do that through our care groups. That's what we're calling you into those structures. We're not saying attend another meeting because it's because that's what we we think is cool. And it's a good idea to do. No, we see it as an, as a, as an expression of our care for you as a, as a means of shepherding you. And then leading feeding. So how do we feed the church? Well, It's clear. We feed the church through the word of God. We want to provide you with avenues through which we can get the word of God to you. And this is one of the main ways preaching. So we want to feed you with God's word. We want to strengthen you with God's word and then heed to heed. That's to, in Peter's language, exercise oversight, watch out for you, care for you in that way. If you're straying, we're going to go after you. If you're, if you are caught in sin, we want to help you. If you are falling prey to false doctrine and false teaching, we want to serve you and bring you clarity from God's word. So all those things are ways in which we shepherd. We don't make all your decisions for you. We don't tell you how to run your life and family. We address you from God's word. We shepherd your soul. That's what we desire to do. Extend you the care of Christ. That's the pastor's mission to shepherd the flock of God. And this was very important in Peter's day. As you know, the church was receiving outward oppression and persecution. And it would be all too tempting for the leaders to split. Because if they, I mean, who were the persecutors going to come for first, right? Jonathan, we've been in India. Do they come for the church members first? Maybe. No, they're looking for the pastors. Who are the men that are leading this operation? Because it's their Bibles we want to burn. And it's their homes we want to ransack. And it's their daughters we want to rape. And so it would be all too common for the pastors to say, I'm out of here. And Peter says, nope, stay right there. Stay right there. And by God's grace, God giving me help. If that ever happened in this church, I'd stay right here. Pray for me that that would happen. But by God's grace, we would stand. And I think I I think I say that for all of your pastors. But that's the pastor's mission to shepherd the flock of God. Now, what's the pastor's manner? Second point, the pastor's manner. What's the disposition that God desires? What's the heart that God desires for his under shepherds to have as they go about shepherding the flock? Peter tells us at the end of chapter two, going into verse three, says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely. Not doing it For money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, 
but being examples to the flock. So he gives three directives here. He says, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And don't do this, do this. Don't, don't do your pastoring this way, but this way. Don't do your pastoring this way, but this way, this way, but this way. He does it three times. And I want to talk about each one of those three manners in which we are to conduct our pastoral ministry. The first manner of pastoral ministry is willingly. We're to do it willingly, right? You see that? Not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely. In other words, be a pastor because that's what you want to be. Don't do it out of duty. Don't do it because you're forced to do it. Don't do it because, well, I got to do it. Peter says, no, do it because it's your joy to do it. Do it because that's what you want to do. And this is the first requirement for any pastor. First Timothy three, one, if anyone desires the office of overseer, let him pursue it for it's a noble task. If anyone desires the office, never, ever, ever, ever let someone pastor you who doesn't want to be your pastor. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? So the very first question we should ask of any pastor is, do you want to be a pastor? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) just ask it. Do you really, really want to be a pastor? Is that your heart? Do you want to shepherd God's people? Yes. Yes. That's what I want to give my time, my life to. And I speak this as one of your, your only, but hopefully one of many to come by vocational pastors. It's really hard to not think about you all. And I say that as one of your shepherds, okay? It is hard being bivocational because I'm called and I've been teaching it. You guys who've been, been in my work class, you know, I, I love my work, but I'm divided, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying this because I want you to feel guilty about not supporting me. Don't hear that. Okay, don't hear that. I'm not, not saying this. I'm, I'd be contradicting the very next thing I'm about to say. Don't do it for the money. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I want you to get my heart, okay? That I love you all. And I desire to live in Owensboro, Kentucky and Shepherd, Shepherd Heritage Baptist Church. Okay? I really am here because I want to be here. Because I care for you. That's my heart. Okay, so that's what Peter says of all the elders. Do it because you want to do it. Shepherd because you want to shepherd. Don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it out of duty. Don't do it because it's the least preferable option that you have. Do it because that's where you want to be and that's where you want to serve. Second manner, as he says, do it eagerly. He says, not for the money, but eagerly. Now, what's he mean by not for the money? He means don't do it. Don't do your ministry in view of the money you make from your ministry. Don't do it. It's, now, this is not saying don't pay your pastor. Of course, that would contradict other texts of God's word, right? That we're supposed to, the one who labors in, in, the, in the word is to, is to is, we're not to muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain. You know, we're to, we're to pay our pastors and all that. And you all, you all understand that. You all get that. So he's not, but he's saying, don't do your work because of the compensation you receive. There's a totally different thing there. There's a difference between making money and being motivated by making money. Doing it for the money, doing it for the position 
He says, don't have pastors that do it for that. Don't starve your pastor. <laughs> you all have never done that. Don't starve your pastors. You know, don't, don't, don't break them. But he's like, but, he, but at the same time, he says, make sure they're not in it for the money. Make sure that their motivation is not money. Not for the money, but eagerly. They do it not because of the money. In fact, most of the time, they're not even focused on the money. They're focused on the sheep. They're focused on caring for the sheep. They don't think about the money. They think about ministry. They think about care. They think about leadership. They think about feeding and heeding the sheep. They don't think about, and they're not in it for the money. And the third one is, to do it as an example. To do it as an example. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Notice the word, entrusted to you. That's the same word he uses in chapter 4, verse 19, when he says, we entrust ourselves to God. That's why I think he transferred his thinking about elders here. Because he used the exact same word as he used in 19, talking about elders. So, Jesus entrusts you to us. And he says, Jesus says to us, I entrust my sheep to you, but I want you to lead them by example, not by lording it over them. In other words, lead from the front by example and don't drive them from behind by command. Lead from the front by example showering the sheep with the grace and kindness and gospel of God in your example, model trust, model faith, model hope, model repentance, model forgiveness. Don't drive them from behind with guilt and manipulation and arguing to try to get them to do things. So what does that look like in practice? Well, here's a story that I read this week. It, it speaks of a, of a tour guide who was taking a group of tourists through Jerusalem. And this is fairly recent. Taking this group of tourists through Jerusalem. And as he was leading the tour, a tourist looked out the side of the Jeep or whatever they were in and noticed a sheep, a bunch of sheep, a flock of sheep, and their shepherd, what he thought was their shepherd, and then the tour guide said, look at what this tourist is noticing. Look out here. See this shepherd and these sheep? I want you to notice something. A shepherd will always lead his sheep from the front, never from behind. And then the tourist said, wait, 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 wait. Look, there's a man behind them and there's no one in front of them. What's going on there? And the tour guide was like, oops, either I told a lie or something's wrong. <laughs> so the tour guide actually stopped the Jeep, got out, went over to the man who was standing behind them, went up to him, talked to him, then came back, got back in the Jeep and said, okay, 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 okay. That was not the shepherd. That was the butcher. Funny, but get the point, right? 
shepherds lead from the front. Butchers drive from behind. So how do shepherds get this heart? Because if, if you haven't noticed this, this is the heart of Jesus for you. And isn't this amazing? The, she- the chief shepherd communicates something imperfectly in us fallen, still remaining sinful pastors, but nonetheless communicates his heart for his sheep to his shepherds. And what is it? I want you to know this. Jesus serves you and loves you willingly. It is his joy to care for you. He doesn't do it reluctantly. He doesn't do it under compulsion. God, the father, why'd you make me do this? I hate them. No. He says, father, it's my desire and will. I love them as much as you do. And he comes and he lays his life down for the sheep. He does it willingly. No one takes it my life from me. Jesus said, I lay it down voluntarily. And I lay it down for the sheep. John 10. And then he also doesn't do it for the money. Now, Jesus didn't get paid, you know, but the point is, is he was eager to do it. His motivation was pure. His motivation was God honoring. He didn't have an ulterior motive. Now, of course, we know, according to Philippians 2 and other texts, that Jesus came that his name might be made great in the world. But he, he did that even for his people's joy. Because Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that those you who, whom you have given me would be with me and that they might see my glory. He knows that's what we need the most. So he comes and lays his life down for us and goes and exalts himself and, and he receives the name as a, that is above every name. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he will see the anguish of his soul and be satisfied. All that is true. But the point is, is that Jesus came and laid his life down for the sheep because he wanted to and he did it eagerly. And also, he did it not by driving us from behind, but by providing us with a reservoir of grace to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He extends his example to us, but also he extends all the work of his cross and all that he purchased to us freely. And he says, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without price. Take the water of life freely. He doesn't say, Do this, do this, do this. Now, are there moral commands that Jesus gives? You better believe it. And does he call us to live holy lives? You better believe it. But there's a difference between living out of the gospel that frees us from fear and paralyzes us with whether or not we're loved and accepted by God and that, that, and, and a, and a, and a, an obedience to that law, which is rooted in grace and grounded in the promises of God. And that's what Jesus provides for us. So how does the pastor then get this heart? Well, I think it's clear in John 21 in Peter's own experience. You remember Peter, right? When Jesus comes to him, let's turn there. Let's turn there for a second. Go with me to John 21 and let's, 
see this again. This is Peter's call to the pastorate. And Jesus calls Peter to the pastorate over breakfast. Just important to slip that in. This is the, this is the savior that we have. This is the care that he has. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Where do we get the heart? Ed Clowney writes, the care of pastors for their flock will be proportional to their care for the Lord. Only as Peter confessed his love for Christ was Peter charged to shepherd the flock. Love for the Lord will motivate elders to imitate the care of the good shepherd. And that's why Peter asked him first, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So the second question, dear sheep of Heritage Baptist Church, do you want to be a pastor? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that is where the pastor gets his heart. Love for Christ. Love for Christ. Love for Christ. Not doctrinal orthodoxy, as important and necessary as that is. We don't want a wolf shepherding the sheep. Doctrinal orthodoxy is ultimate. But it's not supra-ultimate. It's penultimate. Love for Christ is first. So we want to say... Is that, is that doctrinal knowledge that's in his head, is that functioning with a pastor's heart, with a heart of love? Both of those things are all important. So that's how we get the heart. So pastors, I call us, let's love Jesus. Let's love Jesus. Let's pursue him. Let's commune with him. Let's pray with him. Let's read the word. Let's fellowship about him together. We want to do that. And your pastors, believe me, Heritage, my fellow pastors and your other pastors help me to do this. They keep me in love with Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. Finally, and very quickly, the pastor's motivation. We've seen the pastor's mission, shepherd the flock. The pastor's manner, willingly, eagerly, and as an example. And finally, the motivation. Where does the pastor get his Motivation. Well, we already said it comes from the love of Christ. It comes from love for Christ. But it also comes with a vision of where that love of Christ is eventually going to lead us, namely to Jesus himself. It's in verse 4 that we get our motivation. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's our motivation. 
So he says, when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus is coming back and he's coming back as a chief shepherd. He's going to call his pastors to account for how they've shepherded the flock of God. And he says that at that moment, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I love the way Peter mingles in this text exhortation and encouragement. Because believe me, your pastors are sane enough and we hope not too dense to realize the weight of our calling. To the degree that we don't realize that and don't get that, we should step out of the ministry pronto. At least the the pastoral ministry pronto. But Peter encourages these pastors by saying, you will, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, See, Peter believes that the men he's writing to are good men. He doesn't believe he's writing to these elders in these churches sprinkled throughout Asia Minor as full of wolves and heretics. He believes he's writing to true shepherds, true shepherds who know their weakness, who know their sin, who know their propensities to evil, who know that within them there remains sin and wickedness and potential for all kinds of sin. And he says, I've written to you some stern stuff. I've given you some hard counsel. I've talked about your heart and the way your heart needs to be toward the sheep. But let me encourage you for a minute, Peter says. When the chief shepherd comes back, you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. Because I have absolute confidence that you're going to hear this. You're going to pray this through. You're going to work this into your life. And you're going to obey what I'm writing you. That's Peter's disposition. And so he can write to the pastors, you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. And that is the motivation for every true pastor. The true pastor is not looking for all of his rewards to take place here. I've only been in ministry going on three years now. And in that time, I have had enough dreams and visions dashed. And none of this is necessarily your all's fault at all. It has very little to do with any of you. I've had enough dreams and visions and desires and all that that I thought were good and noble and right and true and honoring and biblical to be dashed and not come to fruition to realize that if I put all my joy in ministry, I'm going to ruin my ministry. If I put all my joy in how the sheep respond to my ministry, I can't be a pastor. I can't be a pastor. And that's why Jesus says, or Peter says, look at Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. This is what Jesus counsels his men to do in Luke 10. You remember he sends them out on mission and then they come back and he's like, Jesus, listen to us. The demons submit to us and, and we speak, speak your name and demons are cast down. People are healed. It's amazing. We saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. And what's the first word that Jesus says to them? Guys, it's not always going to be this way. He says, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You missed the plot. Ministries like this, dude. It's not always going to be that way. 
Fix your joy on what can't be taken from you, which is the crown of glory. Your name's written in the book of life. Serve the next 45, 50 years joyfully here with a lot of suffering, with a lot of joy too, and then go to heaven. Just go to heaven. That's your point. That's the point. So sheep, make sure you have pastors that want to go to heaven more than they want to stay here. Not in any kind of crazy, weird way, though. (laughs) You know, walking around like, I just want to go to heaven. Well, you want to stay here a little while? (laughs) You know, there's a spirituality that's weird, okay? But that's the pastor's motivation. That's the pastor's heart. So let me conclude. This is Peter's exhortation to the elders. This is his call for us as your shepherds. And we want you to pray those things for us. We want to be praying those things as God brings other elders and raises up other elders within our church. We're keenly aware that that's a, that's a need for us as we continue to grow and develop as a church. We need more elders. And so pray for us as we continue to move forward with that process. And, and, and pray, pray that we will always, and that his church will always be characterized by shepherds that live out of their love for Christ in a manner that's pleasing to Christ, motivated by the glory of Christ for the good of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of under shepherds. Lord, I thank you for the pastors that you have placed in my life, for Pastor Sam and Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Keith and Pastor Ted. I would not want to be a pastor if I didn't have pastors. I thank you that they care for me, that they have taught me your word and instructed me and corrected me and helped me and trained me in righteousness and hold me accountable. Thank you for the pastors that are in my life who speak into my life and We pray that we, as the pastors of Heritage Baptist Church, will always be characterized by a mission and a manner and a motivation that is pleasing to you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.